Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, good morning. I am so glad that you are with us. This is really, in essence, it didn't, I didn't plan this. Uh, I had a totally different, we were going in a totally different direction for this Sunday before last Sunday. Uh, if you haven't heard Pastor Tom's message last week, it was wonderful. It was marvelous on faith. And talking to the uh, pastors, pastors Linda and Joe, over the, this past week, we talked about the fact that I think sometimes, you know, we don't speak enough about faith. Really. We speak about a lot of different stuff, but I really don't think... I mean, let's, be, let's put all the cards on the table right in the beginning. You watch TV sometimes, and I'm not talking about the... Uh, how do I say this nicely, um, as, I'm on, as this will be recorded? Uh, the health and wealth gospel, that it's just name it and claim it. That's not what I'm talking about. That, to me, is not Christianity. But there are promises that are, this book is replete with promises for our lives. And we as a people, as a community, should be focusing more and more in these days on what God says for our lives. Because we don't. Let's start out of order today. I've never done this. Paul, can you do me a favor? Can you pull up the second to last slide? There is a quote from a early century father. His, his name is Tertullian. Great name, right? Tertullian, right? Great name. No, no. Awful. Now, uh, the one before that, please. Yes. Now, let's just, let's leave that slide up there. I'm not even going to read it yet. It's nice to go out of order. It really is. To be somebody that is so structured, I'm going to do things a little out of order. Are you with me on that? Good, good. It doesn't matter if you're with me because that's where I'm taking you. Well, I was thinking a lot about it. I said, you know what? After the, Pastor Tom like triggered this in me. I said, it's so interesting that like those kids are in Kidmo right now and they're having a great time. And I don't even know what the story is. I don't know what the text is. But I can tell you, and you parents know, later on today, that you'll talk to your kids, and whether it's David and Goliath, or Daniel in a lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Moses leading the children of Israel across the Red Sea, whatever the story is, those kids actually believe it. No, you didn't hear me, because you're like, ah, I'm an adult, really? I remember when I was a kid. Do you remember when you were a kid? How many of you went to Sunday school? You grew up in the church. You went to Sunday school. I did too. And I remember you'd sit there and you'd listen to those stories. I actually believed that those stories were true. I actually believed that God could really do that stuff. And then something happened. I got older. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. All those stories in the Bible. Oh, they're wonderful. I'm an adult now. You're an adult. You can't really believe all that stuff. That's crazy. And we live in a world when you go out there and you tell people that you really believe this book and the stories that are in there, they look at you like you're nuts. Come on. How many of you have been there? Last week, we were, uh, we were out last Sunday after church, we went out and we were with people that I didn't even know who these people were. And I, this is a conversation that Megan had had with this woman and they're, they're friends of Rob and Suzanne's and that's how we met them. But Megan proceeded to get in a conversation with this woman. These people are really well off, very wealthy. 
And this woman proceeds to get in a conversation, and she, I, somehow it got onto spirituality. And the lady said something to, along the lines to Megan, like, you're not one of those born-agains, are you? Like, that's not your church. And, like, I felt bad for her. Like, how do you answer that question? Yeah, I actually am. I'm a Christian. You can say you're a Christian, but it was kind of awkward. And I said, how many of us have been in situations like that where people say that and they think we're crazy? This book is about crazy people. Crazy people who did crazy things. It's a book about a big God, a magnificent big God. We have shrunk him down. Our God is too safe. That's how we live our lives. We look, our perception and our perspective, how we look at God is how we live our lives. And I'm here to tell you this morning, following up what you heard last week, we need bigger faith. Look at this quote. This is 180 AD, one of the early church fathers. Look what Tertullian says. The Lord challenges us to suffer persecutions and to confess him. He wants those who belong to him to be brave and fearless. He himself shows how weakness of the flesh is overcome by courage of the spirit. This is the testimony of the apostles and in particular of the representative administrating spirit. A Christian is fearless. Is fearless. I'm not talking crazy again. Listen, I am not advocating. I am not saying that we are to be people and just say whatever, like, I'm going to believe. Whatever I believe that I'm going to have it. I'm going to name it and I'm going to claim it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the pendulum has swung too far on the other side. And the way we're living our lives is too safe. It is too comfortable. We're more about ease, comfort, and security. When this Bible and the God that we're here to worship this morning says something. Sometimes you're going to have to take risks. Sometimes you're going to have to believe me. And it may look crazy. How about A.W. Tozer? Uh, If you haven't read anything from Tozer, pick him up. Not the easiest read in the world. Look what Tozer said. He said, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. This is over 50 years ago, by the way, when he wrote these words. We've measured ourselves by ourselves. Oh, that's a great line. Until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the spirit is all but gone. We've imitated the world. Wow. How true is that? So a popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. That should make us shake in our boots. It doesn't, but it should. These words are so powerful because this is what we're up against in the culture in which we live We need to have bigger faith. Paul, can you go back to that first slide now? You can go back. And the title of today's message is Minority Report. Yes, I stole it from some Tom Cruise movie. I'm not a Tom Cruise fan. Never even saw the movie. Just like the title. And I want to put up, I'm going to, let's play a little Bible trivia. Are you ready? Like, uh, Like Bible Jeopardy. Are you ready for this? Is everyone ready? I'm going to put a list of names up. Raise your, if you lie, you're in church, okay? Do not lie. How many of you know at least one of these names? How many of you sat down before you, you know, you were having kids and you sat down and one of these names came across your radar? Oh my gosh, honey, this would be a really cool name. Are you ready? Okay. I can't even pronounce half of them. All right. First one looks like Shamu, Shafat, Egal, Palti. Gadiel, 
Daddy, Amiel, Sethul, Nabi, Gul. <laughs> Beautiful names. There are 10 names up there. How many of you know at least one of these names? You know at least one. Jack, I know you know all of them. Anybody else? Really, you know, you know at least one. You do. You know a couple of them. You know just one. Anybody else? So we have one person in the whole congregation here this morning that knows one of these names. That's okay. That's what I expected. Don't, don't be worried by that. Can I tell you a little story and introduce you into the text? Let's use our imaginations. It is a beautiful evening. We're in the wilderness. Not too beautiful when you're in the wilderness. And there are these 10 individuals. They step out of the darkness. There is a crackling campfire. Oh, put your hands up and feel that fire. There's a fire and they're there and they're, they're looking at each other and they're trying to figure out, they're trying to ascertain as to why Moses has called them this night. You see, these are not ordinary men. These are the best and the brightest. Each one of these men is from a different tribe of the children of Israel. Different tribe. But they are the best. They, they are the brightest. This is, I mean, numero uno, the cream of the crop from that tribe is here. And I see them and they're exchanging pleasantries. And maybe they're talking about, hey, how's little Gaddy doing? All right. How's little Ghoul? Great name again. But, you know, maybe they're talking about their wives and they're talking about their kids but they're wondering, why have we been brought here? Then they know, though, it's, it, this is Moses. You see, Moses has brought them here. So it, it has to be really important. And then Moses steps out of the shadows. And he looks at these ten men and he says, Gentlemen, take a seat. I have some, some information for you. And like a commander of like a platoon or a special ops mission, this is like Navy SEALs, Green Berets, whatever you want to call it. He says, here's what, what's going to happen. You are going to be part of an incredible journey, an incredible mission, should you accept it. And here's what's going to happen. You are going to actually traverse the Jordan River and you're going to go into the land of Canaan. You are going to head into the promised land. And can you see those guys if the customs of our day were in vogue back then? Can you see these guys like kind of like fist pumping and they're like high-fiving each other? Awesome. You chose me that I'm actually going to take part in some really cool adventure? Where do I sign up? When are we leaving? I want to leave right now. And he's kind of like, you know, I could see Moses being like giving them like, a, you know, a solemn, whoa, 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 take it easy. All right. This is going to be a dangerous journey. It's not going to take you one or two days. It's going to take you a while. You are going to go to a land. You're going to have to find out. This is what we're looking for. You have to tell me about the inhabitants of the, of the land that you go to. Are they a strong people? Are they a weak people? I, wanted to, I want you to tell me about the kind of food that's there. If you can bring back some fruit, some vegetables, you should do so. Do they have fortified cities? You need to tell us everything about this place. You are going to be witnesses that are sent out. Think about this. This really happened. At some point, there was some sort of meeting. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly it went down that way. But then these guys, what was it like for these 10 men, these 10 names? We should know every single name on this list. As Christians in 2013, I'm here to tell you, you should know who these people are, but you don't. You only know two other names. 
There were two gentlemen, Joshua and Caleb. Now everyone knows the story. All right, a story that you learned in Sunday school. That's why I said that earlier. A story of spies that were sent out to go into the promised land. A story you've heard probably a thousand times. Good. And they're sent on an incredible mission. And here are these guys. What do you think it was like that first night when Moses told them that? And they, they came home and they told their wives, honey, you know, we just met with Moses and we're going out on this really dangerous adventure. Do you think they slept that first night knowing they were going to be leaving? Think about you. If you were in that city, you think you would have slept? I wouldn't have slept one wink. I would have been so amped up, like when I listened to the music today, amped up, ready to go, because there was something dangerous that was out there. And I would think through the night, I would ruminate on how would this event change my life? How would it change me? But oh, the story didn't turn out the way it should have. And if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, I'm going to read you some of the story. It starts in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, and it's in chapter 13. I'm not going to read you the whole story. We're going to skip a little bit, but I'll give you enough chunks of it. Wait a second. You weren't supposed to... Why not? Let's just go there. Let's go there now. Let's do that now. No, you know, I'm going to read this first. Conversations that I'm having with myself, and you're privy to that. Then Moses sent them, starting in verse, uh, what are we in, 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Oh, grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Amon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. How many of you like pomegranates? Oh, pomegranates. The place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. After, oh, after 40 days. Did I skip us? Yes, we did. Did I just do this one? Yes, I did. Come on, stay with me, clicker. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell on the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. 
And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And then finally, the last slide. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came, uh, come from the, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Again, a story that we know, but here's, let's, let's go over this. Let's see what we can extrapolate from the text. Let's start with this. There is one group that is sent out, right? One group that is sent out. They traveled the same exact land. They saw the same geographical features. But their perspective was totally different. Now my little picture. Oops. Let's go backwards. All right. How many of you have seen this picture? I use this in sociology every year at the beginning of the semester. How many of you have seen this before? All right. So how many of you haven't seen it? I should say it that way. You've never seen this before. Okay. Melanie, what do you see? Yeah, what do you see? Tell me what you see. (coughs) Um, Too vague. Not a pretty woman. Oh, gosh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Be careful. Okay, you're in church. So you see a woman. Oh, what do you see? What do you see? You saw a younger woman. Now you see an older woman. How many of you only see one, young, one woman in this picture? You only see one. Again, don't lie. You're in church. Stop lying, some of you. I should see more hands. Trust me, I'm an expert at this. I do this all the time. I catch kids all the time on this. Isn't it incredible? It's kind of one of those illusions. You see the picture. You're looking at the same exact picture in some of your faces, and I hear little rumblings in the crowd. Some of you saw an old woman at first. Others of you, you saw the young woman. But I'm here to tell you, looking at the same exact picture. Now I'm taking the picture away because all of you are way too into the picture. The picture is gone. It will never show up again. If you want to see it again, you can show up at my sociology class September 9th. Pretty cool though, right? I use a couple of those. How interesting is that, that you can look at the same exact thing, but see something totally different. You see, there were 10 men that went into the promised land and they saw problems. There were two men that went into the promised land and they saw opportunities. There were 10 men that went into the promised land and they saw giants. There were two men that went into the promised land and saw a great big giant God. Same exact picture, different eyes, but looking at the same thing, but their understanding and their belief in that God and what God could do and what God could do through them was drastically different. Perspective is everything. How many of us, right? How many of us? If I went into a cancer ward somewhere here, pick any hospital you want, and you went in and you saw somebody that, you know, maybe two people, terminally ill, same exact disease. I guarantee you, you'll probably see, I mean, you get a lot of people, whatever, whatever the disease is, but you could get people and one person's perspective, I guarantee you, will be diametrically opposed with the other person that is there. They're looking at the same exact disease. They're looking at the same thing, the same report from the doctor, but they see it totally different. How many of us, we just stare at our problems, How many of you, think about it, how many of you, you would say, I'm more pessimistic. I stare more at my problems. I don't stare enough at the great big God who created the heavens and the earth that created me. I don't stare enough at him. 
I'm not at 40,000 feet flying in the friendly skies looking down on my problems. You take off that runway, right? Everything's big. You get up there and you're in the air and you look down. Everything looks pretty small. I'm not saying you don't have doubt. Don't hear me say that today because that's not what I'm saying. Doubt is part of the Christian experience. And I preached a lot about that. I'm preaching on the other side today. We need to have faith in our big God. And we need to have real vision. And they have a different perspective. But you know what God does? Don't you love this? Why didn't God, I think about that. Why didn't God just say, go ahead, go in. You don't need, you don't need a preview. Just go in and take the land. Did you ever think about that? Why did he have to send 12 spies? Because it was a test. He was testing the children of Israel. He said, you know what? I'm going to give you a preview. I'm going to give you a trailer. How many of you love to watch trailers? You're waiting for a movie to come out. Like, for example, right? I'm waiting for the lone survivor to come out. How many of you read that wonderful book? Naeem sent a text out, a mass text to a bunch of us like two weeks ago. And I almost fell off my chair as I was sitting at the pool, right? He, I'm like, the lone survivor, they made it into a movie? I didn't know this. He's like, check out the trailer. So there I am, I blasted, I'm in my backyard, I'm playing this. And I, again, I'm amped up, I'm ready to roll. I'm like, I need to see this right now. How do I see this movie right now? I'm like, I have to wait I have to wait to go see... Half of you didn't read the book. You need to... If you're an American, you need to read The Lone Survivor. Navy SEAL story, right? Did I I tell you I like Navy SEALs? No? Oh. All right. Anyway. So, it's a preview. It's kind of like an appetizer. Or you go to a restaurant, right? And you look on the menu. And you look at the appetizers. And you eat that appetizer. But that's not the main course. That is to whet your appetite and get you ready. You know what I hate? This is another thing. Now, I'm weird. I have a lot of idiosyncrasies, and I'm an eccentric dude. And, I'm, and I'm, I embrace that. I'm 40 years old. I embrace my eccentricities. I embrace them. You know what I hate when I go to functions? <laughs> I go to functions, and there's, like, you know, like the hors d'oeuvres and stuff, and I got to, like, pick at things. And first of all, I, you know, it has to be gluten-free, right? So I'm, like, you know, limited... But you pick things, and I eat it, and I'm like, I just want to sit down and maul everything that's here in this place. I don't want to care that there's another... I'm being serious. I don't want to care that there's another human in the place. I don't want to use a fork. I don't want to use a spoon. I don't want to use a knife. I want to maul every piece... Like, good food. I want to maul... I want to take the meat and just, like, you know... Get, anybody else? You, anybody else? You're with me, right? It's good. You're like on the chair this morning. Let that, that's good. That's good. Feel that. Feel that. But that's how I am. But getting back to this, I'm digressing. God is sending them over. They're getting a trailer. They're getting a preview of something that hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. And why did God send them over into the promised land? He sent them over into the promised land so that when they saw this preview, the trailer, they would have the tenacity and the perseverance when they went back to tell Moses and the people that they could inspire them and build them up and say, you know what? We can take this land. We need to prepare ourselves for that which God is going to give us. He was showing them this land on credit, on credit. They had, they they didn't earn it. God is saying, I'm going to show you, you 12 guys, you're each from one of the tribes. I am going to show you on credit 
what is yours. But you have to go back. You have to believe that that which I'm showing you, I'm actually going to give you. Do you ever get a picture of your shalbies? Really? Do you ever get a picture of what shall be? Not, not your realities, not where you are right now. Have you ever been given a picture? Somebody told you something. They had a word of knowledge about your life. God told you something in a service at home in a prayer time. He told you something about one of your kids. Has that ever happened? Yes. Because if it hasn't happened, why are we here? But God gives you a glimpse, a picture of what will happen in the future. If you get a picture of your shall be's of what's going to happen, you can deal with your realities. You know what? I can live with hardship. I can live with pain. I can live in difficult circumstances because I read this book and I know what the end of the story says. I know that we live between the trees. I know what the beginning says. I know what the end says. I know the middle is not going to be easy. No one ever said it's going to be easy, but it gives me the strength and the fortitude to push ahead and keep going. When I fall down, get up, fall forward, get up and get back into the race. There's 10 guys in this story. They choose to dwell on the giants. We need to be a people that have incredible vision. What does the Bible say? Without vision, what happens to the people? They perish. They perish. But that doesn't mean there aren't going to be naysayers. What do you think it was like for Joshua and Caleb when they came back? And they're thinking, and the Bible doesn't say this, but they must have had some really cool conversation. Right? And they're talking about the grapes and the pomegranates and the figs. And their, you know, their stomachs probably hurt. They probably ate, you know, ate a lot of food. And they're coming back in. And I bet Caleb and Joshua are thinking, Man, these guys, we're on the same page. Everybody's going to be with me. And then Caleb's probably ready to speak. And one of the guys is like, we can't do it. And he's like, what? Whoa. Not expecting that. Do you think he expected that? Do you think Joshua expected that? I don't think so. You see, this is the minority report. And there are naysayers. When God tells you he's going to do something in your life, guess what? There are going to be people out there that criticize you in the world and even in the church. You may have family and you may have friends that think you are crazy. If God has put something in your spirit, do not let it die. Be obedient. Think about this. How about let's go through history a little bit. I like history. Did I ever tell you that? 1939, Gallup took a poll and asked the American people. 1939. How many of them would buy a gadget called the TV? Terrible invention. Only 16% of Americans said they would ever buy a TV. Yet in the next 30 years, they bought over 175 million sets. And they keep selling them. I'm not done. Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM 50 years ago. You know what he said in 1943? I love this. I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. Five. Five computers. Yes, Thomas, you were wrong. There is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Again, Thomas, you were wrong. 1899, Charles Duell, the commissioner of the U.S. Office of Patents, said the agency should be closed because everything that can be invented has been invented. <coughs> Hubris. Crazy. 1960, oh wait, 1876, a Western Union internal memo said, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. This device is inherently of no value to us or anyone else. People really said these things. Can I give you a couple more? 
Yeah, yeah, you like this. If this is your favorite part of the sermon, that's not good. In 1962, the Decca Recording Company turned down an opportunity to sign a musical group because they said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. The group they turned down was the Beatles. Hey, Jude. Is that a song they sing? I don't know Beatles music. I'm guessing. I could have been wrong there. Took a leap of faith. Thank you. Over 150 years ago, Martin Van Buren, the governor of New York, wrote a letter to Old Hickory, President Andrew Johnson, with this observation about a new transportation phenomenon called the railroad train. You want to read this? Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines, which in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort, I love that, their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. Did I tell you that Martin Van Buren wasn't the greatest politician? They will disrupt business, boost unemployment, weaken our nation's defense, and beside that, the Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Really? It's from New York. Really? Disgrace the state of New York. There are always going to be people that don't have vision. That's why, you know what my favorite TV show is? I don't know if I've ever said this before. I like Navy SEALs. I told you that today. I told you about some of my weird things. Um, one of my favorite TV shows, I'll say, is, is The Shark Tank. How many of you like The Shark Tank? Oh, isn't that great when people go on there? And I love when people, I'm an emotional guy, anything I do, I, right? I get passionate, I get emotional about it. And I watch people, though, and when people, like, sometimes they get emotional on there. And I'm like, they've invested their whole lives. Oh, I should. If you've never seen Shark Tank, I'm, I'm acting as if, I, thank you, I'm acting as if everybody knows what the show is. You don't. Shark Tank is where people come up with, like, in, inventions. They come up with ideas, and they have to go before this, like, board. And, and the, the people on this panel are all, like, famous people. I'm sorry, that was terrible. You forgive me? So they, they, um, so they go on there with their ideas. Oh my gosh, what a show. And you see these people that have invested all of their lives, their time, their money into an invention idea. And some of the panel, the people, nah, that's never going to work. And I often wonder, what happens when they leave the room? Not the ones that were chosen. Not some like Mark Cuban's like, I want to invest. I'll give you $500,000 for a 42% stake in your company. I'm talking about the people that nobody, that nobody on the panel wants to invest in. What happens to those individuals when they leave the room? Do they still persevere? Are they like a Joshua and Caleb and they say, oh no, baby, this dream is not going to die. I'm here to tell you this morning, there is an enemy that is out to kill your dreams. He's out to kill your dreams and you. And he wants to whisper into your ear, you're nothing, you're a nobody. And he wants us to live that way. He wants us to be grasshoppers. You know, I see these guys. I see Joshua and Caleb. In essence, they have smiles on their faces. You know why? Because they have a deed in their pockets. They're not fighting for victory. They're fighting from victory. Oh, there's a huge difference, friends. When you fight from victory, you know who your God is. Do you fight from victory? When you're praying over your house, your marriage, your kids, your job, your finances, are you fighting, where is my sword? Are you fighting from victory or are you fighting for victory? We need to be a people that realize the deed. They realized the deed was in their pocket. They knew it was already theirs, that the battle had already been won. That's how they looked at the situation and that's how they were in essence fighting. But look, the blessing that was there, right? Follow this. They get to the promised land and they look out. Where was the blessing? 
It was in the middle of the mess. The blessing that God had for the children of Israel was in the middle of the sons of Anak. You know who the sons of Anak were? You know who one of their descendants was? Goliath. Large in stature. These big, strong men. Picture what that must have looked like for them as they're looking out into the promised land and they see these really, and they really were giants that are roaming this land. But God said, no, what I have for you is in the middle of the mess. Your blessing, what I want to give you is something that you're going to have to fight for. I'm not just going to give it to you on the silver, here you go on the silver platter. You can just take, that's not what happened here. He is saying, you can trust me, but you have to go fight and you're going to go in the midst of a tumultuous situation, but you have to trust that I'm actually with you. Isn't it amazing how God does that? He didn't have to do that. He could have just brought them into the promised land. No giants. No. He says, this is what is going to happen. And look at these guys. Where have they been? They've been in the wilderness. They were in Egypt before that where they were in bondage. They were in slavery. Now they're in the wilderness. Nothingness. What are they living off of? They're living off of manna. They couldn't store up the manna. Whatever they had left over at the end of the day, it was spoiled. It was rotten. It was gone. God provided for them on a day. Do you know what that's like? We were at the feeding yesterday. And we're putting, I'm putting, the, we're putting the food in the, in the, the little, uh, what are they called? Yeah, yeah, those little things. And we're putting the food in them. And I'm thinking, I'm like, how many of these people just live from hand to mouth? I go home and there's, there's a refrigerator full of food. How many of these people don't know where their next meal is going to come from? Living with nothing, trusting, not knowing. And I said, wow, I read this story. I read, you know, we read this story today. And you see these people and you're like, man, what's wrong with them? It's a lot easier for us looking back at them. What if you were in that situation and you really had to trust God on a daily basis? Oh, gosh, we want the plan laid out for us. We don't want to know. What, you know we don't want to have to trust what's going to happen on, uh, tomorrow. We want to know what's going to happen two weeks from now. We want to know what's going to happen five months from now. And 12 men were more satisfied or they're satisfied with just having a taste of the grapes. Can I pull out some grapes? Oh, gosh, how could I do this sermon and not have some grapes this morning? Now you're all very hungry. I stole these from your fridge. (laughs) So 10 of the spies, these are beautiful grapes, by the way. That's why I took them and didn't buy new ones this morning. (laughs) 10 of the spies were satisfied just tasting the grapes when God said... I'm going to give you an abundance of the grapes. How many of us are satisfied with just tasting some of his promises instead of feasting on his promises? How many of us in here this morning, City on a Hill Community Church, are settling for less than God has for us? How many of us are settling for one grape when God says, I want to give you the whole cluster of grapes. I want to give you every single thing I have, every single promise. If you want health, You want healing for your body, you're going to have to go through the sons of Anak. That's the way it is. You want a great marriage, you're going to have to go through the sons of Anak. You want great kids, you're going to have to go through the sons of Anak. You want your finances to prosper, you're going to have to go through the sons of Anak. He doesn't make it easy for us. Stop 
with this notion that the Christian life is easy and things are just given to us. No, we have to work for it and we have to be tenacious. That's the spirit that we want. That we're tr- Pastor Tom started last week and that's what I'm just trying to follow. That we need to have that tenacity in this place for our lives. How many of you want that? And you know, I, I love how the enemy, try, but there is an enemy, I said, that will try to intimidate us. Great story. You football nuts, it is the preseason. The NFL season has almost started. You can feel it, right? Wives. <laughs> One wife, Melanie, is clapping. I love it. My wife is certainly not clapping. She's like, no way. <laughs> Excuse me. There's a story from 80 plus years ago. How many of you heard the name Newt Rockney? Famous Notre Dame football coach. If you saw that movie, Rudy, which I can never watch ever again. I've just seen it too many times. And there's a scene where Newt Rockney is a famous Notre Dame football coach. And 80 plus years ago, I love this story. You see that Notre Dame is, uh, they're not a great football team. They're good. They're, They're always good. They're good. But they're facing the number one team in the country. And the team that's coming into town is USC. And Rockney knows they're not, that USC is a much better football team. Rob, you can use this at some point in the future. All right, you don't have to give me any money for it. So what Rockney says is, we know that they're a better football team, but we're going to try to intimidate them. This is what the enemy does. He went into the town of South Bend and recruited the biggest, largest farm boys that he could find. Guys that were 6'6", 300 pounds, and he said, guess what? I'm going to put you in a Notre Dame football uniform, and I'm going to parade you out front. USC is going to be on the field, and I'm going to bring you out. And when they see you, that's the team we have to play? We have to play these guys? Guess what happened? Notre Dame went on to win the football game. USC, literally, the team literally stopped in their tracks when they were doing their warm-ups and calisthenics before the game when they saw the size, the sheer size of the Notre Dame players as they came out. Are you kidding me? That's like, I mean, insane. I read another book recently about um, PSYOPs. Now, again, I'm talking like you're all with me and that you're all Navy SEALs like me. So forgive me in that respect. Um, PSYOPs, psychological operations, well, you know, military history, things of that nature. I love Alexander the Great and other people have done this. You know what Alexander the Great used to do? If he was retreating from a larger army, he would have his men make breastplates and all different types of the armor, all the different pieces, he would have them make them as if they were fitting somebody that was eight and nine feet tall. So when they, imagine you're like the enemy and you walk and you're like, okay. And you see this huge breastplate, whatever it is. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's the, that's who I'm fighting. Talk about being intimidated. That's exactly what our enemy tries to do. He is out there seeking he whom he may devour like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion. And he's trying to use psyops on us and he's trying to use it right now in your life. Whatever you walked in here, I guarantee there's a problem. And he's whispering into your ear and he's trying to make himself look tougher and more intimidating than he actually is because he knows the power that's inside of you. Oh, no, no, wait, I have to say it again. You, I'm not just talking about how big your God is. I'm talking about how you see yourself. Francis Chan talked, I, I, I read this in one of his books. I can't, off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly which one, but I loved it. And he said something along the lines that God is strong, but are, are we? What about us? Our God is so big, but what about us? 
What did they say at the end of this story that they were grasshoppers in the sight of the giants? How did they know what they were in the sight of the giants? That was their perception of how they thought those giants, the sons of Anak, actually saw them. And the enemy knows he has us if he can actually get us to believe that we're wimps and that we're nothing and there's no power. Oh, don't be fooled. He knows how powerful will shake in his boots if you come out of the gate and you come at him. Oh, let, can we talk about the grasshopper? Can we talk about the grasshopper as we close here today? Where is my... Paul, you can... Yeah, who's better than you? I want you to take a look at the grasshopper. Favorite part of the story. The grasshopper is a fascinating little creature. Pastor Joe, this is something that you usually do, taking a page out of your book. The grasshopper is fascinating in that in doing research on it, its, it's, it's uh, arms are very weak. Its legs are very powerful. He can, you like that. He can hop 20 times his body size. Grasshopper can hop 20 times his body size. But what the grasshopper does is whenever it confronts an enemy, it survives. Oh, and quite adept, may I tell you, at surviving. They survive by running away. They hop away. Danger comes. I'm going to hop away. Danger comes over here. I'm going to hop over here. Oh, and they can live and they can survive, but they can't thrive. And there are three types of grasshoppers. You know what they are? There is a green one. The green ones live in the trees. They live on the plants. There are brown ones, sandy colored ones. They live on the beach. And then there actually are, there are brown ones. I should have said sandy ones that live on the beach. And the brown ones, dark brown, they live on the ground. You know how they survive? They survive by blending into their environment. How many of us are surviving as Christians by blending into our environment? And we go out there and people look at us. How people see you, it's a sociological concept. It's called the looking glass self. How people see us, how we act, I should say, is based on how we think other people see us. How we act, the looking glass self. Picture a mirror. It's like you look into that mirror. What is reflected back is the perception you have of the most important people in your life, how you think they see you. You see the grasshopper? You know why I love him? Because he, he'll climb up the, the tree. He'll climb up the vine. And he'll get all the way on the stem. He gets close to the grapes. Oh my gosh, look at this little grape. It's, and his mouth is watering. But you know the truth about grasshoppers? You want to know the truth? Grasshoppers don't eat grapes. They don't. How many of us in here are living as grasshoppers? God wants to give us grapes. He wants us to eat them. He's given us an abundance of grapes, but we don't want to eat them because we see ourselves as grasshoppers. Going a little deeper, just taking it from last week. We need to have an accurate picture of how dangerous we are. The God that lives inside of us, that lives inside of everyone in here. The life of Christ is living inside of us. We need to be a people that realize how dangerous we are. We are not meant to be grasshoppers. But that's how some of us are living. We're living with a grasshopper mentality. 
and we're walking around. And every time we get close to the blessing, we get close. Don't step on that. Every time we get close to something God wants to give us, the enemy comes in and he whispers, I'm just going to hit you with something that happened 20 years ago. You're 50 years old. You're still, the sta- you're still the same person that you were 20 years ago. You're no different. You didn't finish school. You think you're going to get that house. You think you're going to get that job. You think you're going to get that girl. You're not going to get anything. Let me tell you why. Because you're a grasshopper. Friends, as one of your pastors here today, I'm here to tell you, you're meant to eat the grapes. You're meant to be a Christian that lives in the promised land. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear or timidity. No, no, no. We are to be courageous as we head out of these doors into our world and our situations and whatever circumstances come our way. We are to know how powerful we are. And I'm not going into it, but suffice it to say, if you know the end of the story in Joshua 14, Caleb is 85 years old. This story happened when he was 40. So 45 years old later, 45 years later, he's an old man. But he still goes in. He didn't forget. He's the, he and Joshua are the only ones to live because they're the only ones that had faith. And 45 years later, this old man, a little bit older than Pastor Joe, <laughs> says, says that, <laughs> that he's going to go into the promised land and he's going to take the hill country. You know anything about, again, war, battles? You want the high ground. He looks at the high ground and he's like, I want the high ground. I'm going to take it. He climbs in and takes it. That's the attitude we need as Christians. And as we come to this table, as, hey, this is, just a, this is just a, this morning is a reminder sermon of who you are, the faith that we, we're to have as Christians. And if you don't have that this morning, you're saying, you know what? I do feel like a grasshopper. That's Okay. Because there is a great big God that is out there that is looking for you to just be honest with him. Tell him exactly how you feel. I want to eat the grapes. I want to go into the promised land. But every time I get close, there's an enemy that's out there or something is holding me back. Give that to him at the table this morning. That's where you're to lay this down. Ask him to be fearless as a Christian as you walk out in this world. And stay in community. Share your dreams together. Be honest with each other. Be talking about this stuff. Lord, Lord, I thank you for this story that is not a fairy tale. It is not a fable. It is a true story that it really happened. I ask that you would increase our faith. Give us big faith to believe that you can really work in our midst. As people come up to this table, Lord, Give me the faith to believe for myself, my family, and everybody else in here that you still move mountains, that you still are a miracle worker. May we feast on you, Jesus. Feast on you. We don't just want a taste. We want an abundance. Give us the strength, the fortitude to move ahead in this day, in this time. Help us to run this marathon. Help us to run this this race of endurance. Give us the endurance. When, When storms come our way, may we not look left or right behind us. May we look up. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.